Well, good morning and welcome. If we've not had the pleasure to meet yet, my name is Gray. I am the pastor of our downtown congregation, and so uh, very excited to be with you this morning and to bring God's word to us. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 133, just read for us, and uh, we're going to spend some time there and then also switch over to Acts chapter 2 this morning. We're continuing in our series on the church, and the church has always existed in two forms. It's always existed as the people gathered and the people of God scattered, gathered on Sunday, gathered in homes during the week, as Acts chapter 2 tells us, but also scattered into vocations, into livelihoods, into homes where we're leading our families. And so it's an interesting thing to talk about the church when it's pretty much just in the scattered state. That's where we are right now. We're scattered and we're trying to be the church. And yet to talk about these things is to create a longing for the time when we can be gathered together again. One of those longings that we have is for the fellowship. Fellowship seems like a very churchy word to us. We say, uh, you know, that's, that's part of my fellowship. It seems like a Christianese word, but it actually speaks to a very deep longing that each one of us has. As each of these metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about the church has, that we're the body of Christ, that we're the house in which uh, everything is built and Jesus is the chief cornerstone, these, these images show us the value of the church. And today we're looking at the value of the church as the fellowship fellowship of God, the fellowship for the lonely. I take it as, a, as just a granted thing that all of us are lonely as we experience this service this morning. We are all experiencing loneliness right now. How many of our, our lives, how much of our lives have been disrupted by this virus? We're all experiencing loneliness right now. So I know that this is going to be irrelevant, but for some people, it was, it was true even before there was a virus. We were feeling disconnected. We were feeling lonely. We were wondering if the fellowship was happening to someone else and there was this inner ring or inner circle that we were not part of and that everyone else was. Loneliness is, of course, a huge problem in our country. More than half of Americans report being lonely sometimes or always. And we know for a fact that that figure is too low. The reason why is because in the same survey, they were, people were asked, how many of you have a real group of friends, a, a group of friends that you feel like is your group? And only 27%, about a quarter of Americans say that they have a group of friends. And so we know that number is low, that there is a real problem of disconnection. Uh, back a number of years ago, a group of psychologists did this study that's kind of become known as the Cyberball Study. And the scientists got together and they conducted this experiment. They created an online uh, game, like a computer game, where people were to toss the ball to each other. And they got participants for this, this study, and there was a digital ball, and there were digital people throwing the ball to each other. But there was also a group within the group. So the control group of the experiment knew what the experiment was about and were given extra instructions. And so as this group of people were tossing a digital ball to one another, they were told for the first few minutes, toss the ball to everyone just at random and include everyone as much as you can. But then a few minutes in, they said to this select group, just start tossing the ball to each other and leave those who are not in this inner group out. And so they conducted this experiment for a few minutes. They tossed the digital ball to everyone. 
And then they switched and they only started throwing the ball to each other. And this only happened for just a few minutes. And then they stopped the experiment and they ran a number of tests. It maybe is not surprising to you to see that those who were in the group that were left out expressed more feelings of disappointment and even anger about their experience of playing the game. Just after a couple of minutes. Another fascinating thing about the study is that it showed that as they studied the brains of the participants, the same area of the brain that controls or it lights up when there is pain was lighting up when people felt that the ball was not coming to them. It was literally, their brain was sending signals that this is painful. This is a painful experience. Perhaps the most fascinating thing about the whole study is that they, after the study, they had people rank the desirability of foods. Like, I don't know, here's a hundred foods, crackers and peanuts and everything. Like, how much do you want this food right now? And the overwhelming majority of those who were left out ranked higher the desirability of warm foods, soup, coffee, presumably because they felt more cold on the inside. And so literally, physiologically, they were cold and hurting in their brains from this experience of just for a few minutes not experiencing being part of a group of playing a silly little easy video game. And this just goes to show how deeply wired we are for a sense of belonging. It's part of the sinful and broken world that we are part of, that we feel always left out. I think of C.S. Lewis who talks about the inner ring. He talks about this idea of, of all of us feel like there's an inner ring and we want to be part of that and we feel like other people are a part of that. And that is just the way that it is. He says this about that inner ring, that 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 this desire is one of the great and permanent mainsprings of human action. What does he mean? Part of the reason why we do the things that we do is so that we could be in fellowship with other people, so that we can be in that ring. This goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. Even before the fall, even before sin was introduced, God said it is not good for man to be alone there's something that wasn't good about the creation, the fact that Adam was by himself. And so we've always wanted to be together with someone. Look at the story of Scripture. What God was doing in the Old Testament and into the New Testament is creating a people for his own possession, a family, an inner ring, knowing that this was, this was a created desire in us. He brought that satisfaction of saying, you can be let into this family of God, into this, this fellowship. And that is the word that the Bible uses most often, fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia, and it's a beautiful word. It's used in a number of different contexts, translated a number of different ways. Most often it's translated fellowship, but also participation, uh, when we talk about the Lord's Supper and Paul talks about it, he says, this bread that we eat, this wine that we drink, is it not a participation, a koinonia, a fellowship with Christ? We might think of the idea of membership, belonging to something. Actually, the word koinonia has, is the same root as the word generosity. As we're going to see in Acts chapter 2, where they were sharing things. They had everything in common. Part of the fellowship was that they had a shared life. And so we're going to talk about this, 
desire that we have for the fellowship today in two ways. The first is to look at the satisfaction of fellowship. And then secondly, to look at the responsibility of fellowship. So first, we're going to turn to Psalm 133 and see the satisfaction of fellowship. This is something good, true, and beautiful that we should long for. As Psalm 133 tells us, it is good and it is pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. We could just translate that when they dwell together. When we are together, it is a good thing. Psalm 133 is part of the Psalms of Ascent. So Psalm 120 through 134 show this picture of Israel as they are uh, called to, to worship. Two times a year, they ascended the mountain of, of Jerusalem to worship God. And so they would go on this journey, and it's portrayed for us in a collection of psalms, almost like the start of the journey to the end. Psalm 134 is the end, and he's in the sanctuary praising the Lord. But we're at Psalm 133, just one chapter before that. So we can imagine uh, in this scenario this, this picture of fellowship as, as uh, the person who's going to worship in Jerusalem is coming in from the outside. He's maybe on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and, and he's seeing people that he knows, and he's running into people, and he's coming in, and he's, he's starting to see the Temple Mount. And then he has this thought, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I'm reminded of how good it is to actually be together. The satisfaction of fellowship. We need to see three things about what, what fellowship does for us, what it brings us. The first is this from Psalm 133. Fellowship brings us joy. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's joy there. Life is good when we are together. We're better off not being alone. And that's really important because sometimes we start to believe that we are better off alone. And we start to think of other people as entanglements and as burdens for us uh, to, to be around. And then we, we see all of a sudden, no, no, this is good. This is good. Fellowship brings joy. Secondly, fellowship brings growth. Skipping to verse 3 of Psalm 133, it says this, It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Fellowship is like the dew of Hermon. What does that mean? The, Mount Hermon is the Mount of Jerusalem. And so this dew would settle on this otherwise arid region. So there's desert all around Jerusalem. If you've ever been there, it's, it's set in a desert. But on the mountain and near the mountain, it's green. Why? Because there's more water there. There's the dew of Hermon. And it brings us growth. And the psalmist is saying here, that's what fellowship is like. Fellowship is like dew that settles on us. And it's, you don't even see it work right away, but it starts to grow something in us. As scripture says, iron sharpens iron. That's what being together grows us. It makes us better. But third, fellowship brings us to God. It brings us joy. It brings us growth. But it also brings us to God. Look at the image in verse 2. This being together, it is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. You know that feeling when oil is on your head and it just drips down your face into your beard? Like, that's how good fellowship is. <laughs> I don't know if that's a very pleasant image to you, uh, but it's meant to be a pleasant image here. Why? 
Well, it's similar to the, to the dew of Hermon, right? The, the second image we talked about. The dew settles on the Mount Hermon and brings growth, while the oil settles on the head of Aaron. What does that mean? It means, first of all, extravagance. This oil is precious oil. Um, it, it's, it's good. To, to, it was a very pleasant thing for people to have this oil to run through their hair and to, to experience the riches of, of something, this substance that was hard for them to come by if they were poor. So it's, it's a picture of extravagance, but also, of course, it is a picture of the priesthood because Aaron was a priest and the oil on his head that ran down the beard and on the collars of his robe was a picture that God had set him apart as the priest. And so the psalmist here is telling us that fellowship serves a priestly function. What does that mean? The priest would bring the people to God and God to the people. They'd come together. They could fellowship with God, the holy, almighty God, because the priest would sacrifice and the priest would, uh, would pray on behalf of the people and bring them to God. And so what he's saying here is this, fellowship is like this. It serves a priestly function. When we are together, we help each other come to God. And that is deeply satisfying. The way that the scriptures talk about this is so beautiful. It's almost a complicated and, and beautiful set of pictures that we have here. The first movement is this, that God has a fellowship with himself. The first and original inner ring is this, the Holy Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit from eternity past to eternity future have always enjoyed a fellowship with one another. And what happens in conversion for us when we come to God, when someone brings us to God that through this priestly function of fellowship is that we get to come into the inner circle of God. We are brought in, as Peter says, we have become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we become gods ourselves. We're still his creatures. But when we come into that inner circle, we are part of the fellowship of God. He brings us in. How? Because we're united to Christ. When we are united to Christ, then Christ's our brother. We are one with him. Then we are God's children. And if children, then heirs also. And we're, we've been brought into this fellowship of God. And so when we have fellowship there, the next movement is this. Well, if that's true for me and it's true for you, then it's also true that we are members of one another. Not only do we have fellowship with God, not only have we broken into this inner ring, but we are in the inner ring with each other. And so we have fellowship, not just with God, but with each other. We are members of the same body, members of each other. Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 tells us that we are members of one another. We're united. It all comes together. First John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship, may have koinonia with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, it's all of one piece. It's beautiful. When God has a fellowship amongst himself. He brings us into that fellowship. That's the first inner ring. And then we discover that all of us are in this ring Together, all of this beautifully portrayed for us in the Lord's Supper. Why? Because in the Lord's Supper, what are we partaking of? What are we participating in? Koinonia-ing in. We are participating in the body and blood of Christ. So we are partaking of, of his nature. We are there in the inner circle with him. But also, 
The one loaf means what? The one church, the body of Christ, which is each other. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it means that we are participating and being members of each other and members of God himself. And so what I'm saying with all of this is, clearly, this desire that we have for fellowship is most deeply satisfied in a way of life with God. As Psalm 133 says, it is good when we dwell in unity, but it's good when we bring each other to God. It's all very satisfying. This meets a deep need within us. It's why we're drawn to literature that, that has this element of fellowship. Have you ever read a Wendell Berry novel? If you haven't, I suggest that you do. He creates a fictional county in Kentucky, and all of his books um, in this series are about that place, that county. And if you read something like That Distant Land, which is a collection of short stories set over 150 years in the same place, you see what he calls the membership. The membership is the way that the land interacts with the people and the people with the land and both of those with God. And, and there's this beautiful harmony and we think, oh, I want that. I read that. And there's, there's something about that that's so attractive because it meets the deepest needs to be part of the membership of that community. The fellowship of the ring. Why do we love that? It, it speaks to something deep inside of us that we love to see this, that scene in the book and in the movie when there's the Council of Elrond and there's a hobbit and a dwarf and an elf and a wizard and men of Gondor and they're all there and they create the fellowship of the ring that's so exciting to us. Why? Because we see there's, there's something there that you're going to join together in a shared mission towards an end, and it's going to bring them together. They're going to create an inner ring. And we look at that, and we want to be a part of that. It was clearly not the case that they wanted to be all together. The elf and the dwarf didn't want to be together. They did by the end, right? They did by the end. Why? Because first and foremost, the fellowship was something they decided to do out of a sense of responsibility. They needed to destroy that ring. And they joined forces to do that. And that's what I want to talk about next. Not just the satisfaction of fellowship, not just the idea that all of us have this longing, but we have a responsibility to make that fellowship happen. This is the part that we don't often talk about, but yet clearly scripture commands us to do, which is to be a participant in something, to be a member of something, to be a part of the fellowship means things for your life. It means intentional decisions. It means faithfulness. Otherwise, it doesn't work. If it's just based on desire, if it's just based on an elf and a dwarf liking each other, it's not gonna work. It had to be based on the shared mission that was good for the world. And so ours does too. And it's part of the reason why, even though we use the word community a lot, and most churches do, we say, hey, we have good community here, or we like the community here. I actually prefer the word fellowship, because fellowship has an idea of responsibility, that we have to participate in fellowship. And so I want to talk about what that is. And I'm going to do that in such a way <laughs> that's, not going to at first recognize that there's a worldwide pandemic going on right now. 
I mean, maybe that's been in the back of your mind this whole time. Like, how can we have fellowship right now? Why are we even talking about fellowship right now? It's just survival mode. It's just being alone and, and figuring things out right now. But I want to create this vision for us so that when we do come back into the gathered worship and the gathered community, that we do so with a sense of responsibility and robustness. As I was looking at Acts chapter 2 and making an, an outline uh, for this section, I, at the end, I made the outline, and then I decided at the last minute to reread portions of bon, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life together. And I was amazed at how much Bonhoeffer agreed with me. No, actually, I was amazed at how much Bonhoeffer had probably influenced me when I read that book no, a number of years ago. But there was just so much, it, was, it was just like he was looking at Acts 2 with me. And so I want to bring him into the conversation as we uh, dive into this section to talk about how our life together makes us responsible for one another. And it requires that of us. And so he's going to be my conversation partner a little bit. Three things from Acts chapter 2 we see before we close. First is this. We need to see that part of the responsibility of fellowship is that, is that we recognize this. Number one, fellowship is a reality, not a possibility. Fellowship is a reality, not a possibility. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the koinonia, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It was a reality, not a possibility. When the church started in the New Testament, when thousands of people responded to this sermon from Peter and they came and they started the New Testament church and the spirit was there, what was created was a thing, the fellowship. It exists. It's not a possibility. It's a reality. The way that we talk about it, sometimes we talk about it like it's a possibility. I wonder if there would be fellowship there for me. I wonder if, if I can find community in this place. Uh, it's a possibility, but it might not. I might just go to church and not have community. That's not the way the scriptures talk about it. The scriptures talk about it like this. There is the fellowship. It exists. Bonhoeffer says this. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal, which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So there is a participation or not a participation, but it doesn't change the fact that it's already there. It is a reality, not a possibility. Number two, fellowship is an action, not a feeling. Fellowship is an action, not a feeling. Look at Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves. It didn't occur just because it was grassroots and, you know... Just, I feel like being together. They said, I don't know you. I don't know you. We both just heard the spirit, you know, the dwarf and the elf. We, we got to devote ourselves to this now. This is not a feeling. This is a, an action. Bonhoeffer again. And this one stings. This one stings even me. Here's what he says. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. If you love your dream of community, if you have an idea of what it would be like to be more connected to God or to, the other, to others, and you let that drive everything that you do, you will actually destroy the possibility of fellowship. But 
If you love those around you, you create the possibility of fellowship. It's there, whether you participate in it or not. And that's the third thing. The third thing is this. Fellowship can be neglected or pursued. Just because it's a reality, not a possibility, it's an action, not a feeling, doesn't mean that we can't weave in and out of it. And I want to challenge us today to take responsibility as much as we possibly can, recognizing there's a pandemic right now, recognizing that it's going to be limited on some scale, but then when we come back in to fully commit ourselves to pursuing this, because it can be neglected or it can be pursued. There are barriers and there are gateways to community. And if we're going to pursue this, it means that we have to avoid the barriers and we have to pursue the gateways. What are some of the barriers and some of the gateways as we close today? Number one, one of the barriers, I'll talk about those first, is this. Our addiction to technology and our addiction to social media. This is just a fact. They've studied it over and over again. The more that we are engaged with those things, the less happy we are to a certain point. If you just engage with it a little bit, it doesn't make any, that much difference. But the longer after that certain point that you engage with it, the more it's a one-to-one correlation between your happiness and sense of disconnection, not connection. And yet it feels like when we are on those that we are powerful and that we are engaged and that we know people. But that's not what the studies bear out. We have to put it down. We have to limit it and put it in its place. Otherwise, it will be a barrier to the actual fellowship, which we all know when our kids have been trying to tell us something and we are connected to that rather than to them. A second barrier to pursuing fellowship is our idea of independence and self-sufficiency. This is just something that we can't fix overnight, but it's so much a part of our culture that we have to push against. It's this idea that we have complete control of our schedules and our lives, that your home is your retreat place, that you can go there and you can you know, close the garage door and, and it can be your world and you have complete control of your schedule. Your life is on autopilot. And if your life is on autopilot, I can pretty much guarantee that you're lonely. Autopilot comes in two different ways. <laughs> Sometimes some of us are more tempted towards this kind of autopilot. I plan out every moment of my day. I know when I'm doing this, this, and this. And then anything else that comes in is a distraction and an annoyance to us. So our life is on autopilot, and we plan out every moment. Some of us are the exact opposite of that, but we're still on autopilot. Our autopilot is I wake up when I have to. I collapse into the day. I collapse into my work. And then I collapse into Netflix, and then I collapse into my bed. And anybody that interferes with that, then I'm annoyed, and it's not good for me. Scripture tells us a different way. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, Hebrews 10. Do you know what bearing a burden is? It's an annoyance. If an annoyance wasn't annoying, then it wouldn't be a burden. It's a burden because it's annoying. It's a burden because it's hard. So when hard things come into our lives, we have to train ourselves to know that, especially if it's the burdens of other people that we're carrying, those things are what God has for us for the fellowship. They aren't things that are throwing off our life. They are things that he is bringing into our life, into our fellowship together. And we know that we need this because at various times we have to be burdens on other people. And so our independence and our self-sufficiency can, get us, can be in the way of our fellowship, Bonhoeffer. 
we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. This is just what happens. We need each other. And that need often reflects a burden and that burden has to be taken hold of. Third barrier to our fellowship together, glamorizing the past or the future. A number of years ago, Becca and I knew this couple and uh, we wanted to be friends with them. Like we thought they were great. And, uh, but every time we hung out with them, they would talk about how they wanted to move away from where we were living at the time. They wanted to go back to their home in the Midwest. And every single time, that's, that's literally, like, not like literally, figuratively, like we say, but literally every time it would be like a game, like how soon are they going to mention that they're going to move soon? You know, it's, their life was somewhere else. It was, it was in a past, in a connection with their family. That was fine and good for them at the moment, but at the, at the present moment, it was a barrier to fellowship. What about the future? Many of us are dwelling on the future. When I get that job, when I'm able to move to that place, when I arrive at this, this time of my life, when I retire, whatever it may be, and all we can do is think about how that will change us in the future. That is a barrier to our life together now. Bonhoeffer, those who dream of the idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up by their own law, and judge one another and even God accordingly. This is not good enough for me. I got to think about a time when it was good, or I got to imagine a future where it will be good. It's not good enough now, though. But the problem with that is, of course, we start living somewhere else. And maybe college was a great time of connection for you. Maybe you have a connection with a church where you became a Christian or where you really were connected well or whatever it may be, and God had that for that season. That's a beautiful thing, but he calls us into different seasons. And by glamorizing the past or thinking about the future so much, we sometimes destroy the possibility of fellowship now, of experiencing that fellowship Fourth barrier is bailing. You know this phenomenon. When we bail, send that last minute text. Sorry, I'm so overwhelmed with my life right now. Today was really hard. And what, what we do, and we cancel our dinner plans or our drink plans or whatever it may be, we do that sometimes. And, and every time we do that, a f- the fabric of our fellowship hurts tears a little bit. Why? Because what we're sending the signal is that I don't value you enough to engage with something hard. Now, of course, there are circumstances, there are emergencies, all kinds of caveats. You know that that's true. But this idea that like, I just felt like I didn't want to engage really damages our pursuing of a life together, of fellowship. Let's go more positive. There are some gateways. There are some ways that we can engage in the fellowship not just avoid the barriers. The first one is this, and let's not overthink this. It's very obvious. Gathering with the church whenever and however it it exists, which is in a different place right now. But let's look at this. (laughs) Worship, small groups, classes, parties, lunch after church, these are opportunities for us to engage in the fellowship that already exists, that already is there. 
but we're just not necessarily participating in it. This is so important and can't be overstated. Bonhoeffer says this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Physical presence matters. Being there, showing up, not just being lazy about things. It matters to yourself and to others. Another gateway is gratitude. I mean, a lot of things are, are solved with gratitude. This is one that we need, especially if we struggle with the last point that I made about not really wanting to live where you are or be where you are, but want the past or the future. This idea that God is bringing things to us now. There are little moments. It may not be exactly what we envisioned, but there is a moment, and every moment is a gift. Every person that comes across our path is a gift. It's who he has for us. Bonhoeffer, the more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. Gratitude is so important to realize that God has us where he has us and there's fellowship opportunities there. Number three, hospitality, how we think of our homes. Let's go back to Acts. Acts chapter two, verse 45 says this, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There are two things that the early church did with their homes. They either sold them or used them for the community. Those are the only two things they did. They sold them and gave the proceeds, but obviously not all of them sold their homes because whose homes would they be meeting in, breaking bread, if they had sold all their homes? So they could sell their homes and give to the people who had need, or they could use their homes as hubs for the fellowship. What, that, what is foreign to the New Testament is this idea of the home as a shelter, retreat, castle. That's not what it's for. Everything that we've been given is for the fellowship. That's what Acts chapter 2 teaches us. Generosity, koinonia, shared life together. Another gateway to the fellowship and pursuing it is vulnerability. Making sure that we're open and we share our lives with people. Not closed off. Bonhoeffer even talks about this, saying sometimes we don't have community or fellowship because we act like we have it all together. We act like, you know, we're more pious than other people. And so he says, by, by letting that guard down, we let other people in. The challenge with all of these things is this. There is some truth to the fact that we are what we habitually do. And the more that we practice things, the more that we desire them. We know this is true in diet. You know, if you eat McDonald's every day, Seven days a week, on the eighth day, you're going to want McDonald's. It's just the way that you're built. If you eat salads every day, maybe for longer, like 30 days, then you might want a salad the next day. Like, so you're, but you are what you habitually do. And, and God has provided the fellowship for us. And I know it's hard because we're talking about it right now. And it's like, oh, well, where are the opportunities? And, and they're there, but we have to engage in the ones that we've got. Zoom meetings and it's all, it's partial. We get that. But to the extent that we can engage with those things because we are becoming the people of the fellowship or not. We're pursuing it or we're neglecting it. And, and when that happens, then we change and we get to this place where we're like, I don't really know if I even need that anymore. And it feels okay. Just like eating McDonald's every day. The, on the eighth day, it feels, it feels the same. But it's, it's destructive, right? And so we can get to this place where we are 
not in the fellowship. And we think, well, maybe I'm fine without it. But go back to what we said about the satisfaction of the fellowship. All the things that it does. It brings us to one another and it brings us to God. And therefore, it is so necessary and so important for us to pursue it. The last thing I will leave us with is this. Since we can't have fellowship in the fullest sense right now, we need to learn to be in the wilderness. And we need to learn even more that we have a fellowship with God first. I've gotten this from a number of people that even though there's extra time right now, maybe you have more time in your schedule because you're not having small group and you're not having all these extra things, it's still, it's even harder to connect with God. Have you experienced this? The reason why is because we are, because part of connecting with God is, part of, is connecting with one another. It's all of a piece. But right now, we're, we're called into deeper wilderness and the wilderness is important in Scripture. The wilderness is the place where it feels like there isn't the thing that we need, but God meets us there. God met with Israel in the wilderness. God met with, with uh, Elijah in the wilderness. God met with Jesus in the wilderness of temptation. In the wilderness is where God meets us, and we are reminded that our first fellowship, the first inner ring that we ever want to be a part of, is this ring with him. And so right now, more than ever, we have to have a life with him when we can't fully have this life with others. Last Bonhoeffer quote, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. You see, both of those things are important. If you can't be alone, then community might be a crutch for you. It might be a way that you escape from thinking about things that are really important. But if you only depend on being alone, then you, you need the community. <laughs> so right now, when that piece has been taken away, you can't have some of that fellowship. We have to be, learn to be alone with God again, enjoying the fellowship of the Father, the fellowship of the Son, the fellowship of the Spirit. And so do we have that fellowship with him? First and foremost, because out of that life with him, then will flow the rich, abundant life of fellowship with others. Let's pray. God, we feel unequal to the task of creating a life with you. Would you remind us today of the gospel? If we have trusted in you, believed in you, know you, then whether we feel it or not, we are in the inner ring. But I pray that we'd be able to feel it. We'd be able to know it. We'd be able to walk out today knowing that we have been brought in to the fellowship of God, that we have a participation, a membership in you, first and foremost. And would you bring us to this place of fellowship with one another, where it is like it was before. We know some things will always be changed, but many things will be the same, that we need each other. We need to be together. And so, Father, bring us to this time when we can be together. Please bring that soon, because we are feeling our need for it today. Help us, Lord, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.